Just give me one second. Thank sure. you. Sorry. Uh huh. Hey. Hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh, I think that's a little intense. No. no. Not That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skills. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is gonna go up, and we demand that. With, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. Right, but when there's time to sleep, or? Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. Completely for free. <laughs> no! What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh my God. Moms are the best. Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours, they're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So mom, I wanna say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. So would you join me and would you stand and let us tell moms everywhere, thank you for all you do.
And, and before you're seated, if you are near your mom, would you give her a hug? Or if someone looks like your mom, give her a hug, and then you can be seated. So I have been running through the mental catalog of my mom memories in the last couple of hours. And this I know. Her expressions of love are limitless. And her promise of love is unshakable, even when my crises are self-inflicted. When I was a freshman in college, I got arrested and ticketed for trespassing on posted property. And I knew my dad would not, oh, he would not be happy. And I, and I was a poor college kid, so I didn't have the 50 bucks to pay the fine. So guess who I called? Mom. I fell in love my freshman year of college, first time I'd been in love, and, and she loved me, and we were going to get married, and I went to, uh, to her house beginning of summer break. She lived in Long Island, and I spent two weeks at her house and met her parents, and, and I was still dealing with problematic immaturities. And as a result of that, I received a Dear Jack letter about halfway through the summer. And guess who it was who sat at the edge of my bed and felt my pain and cried tears and promised me that I would actually live through this? Mom. So now I had hope that by the time that the next semester arrived and school would begin my sophomore year, that I would see my, not at the moment, girlfriend, but hope that she would still love me, girlfriend, and I would meet her, and we would get this thing all patched up together. And when we got there, and within the first couple of weeks, I noticed that one of my close friends was spending a lot of time with her, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, she's having a tough time, too. I'm just, I'm just giving her support. He supported her so well that they were engaged by the end of the first semester. And I was devastated by that betrayal. And guess who walked me through that pain and hope? Not mom. But at that moment, the source of mom's love. I remember sitting in a car on a campus parking lot and I just felt like my life had broken up. I felt it was in pieces. It was shattered everywhere because I, I couldn't trust friends anymore and I couldn't trust love. And if you can't trust friends and you can't trust love, who can you trust? And my whole life was just shattered. And I felt so betrayed. And while I was sitting there, I felt that this God who I was trying to get to know and to understand spoke clearly enough that I could hear him say inside here, I didn't betray you. And if you let me, I can put you back together again so that you're healed and you're healthy and you won't miss the best that I have for you. We all face those moments when we feel broken up, when, when we feel we're fractured, when we know that we've been betrayed, the boss lied or the husband cheated or the friends dumped you or even the community of faith has shunned you because you blew it. And we all need, we all want someone to care for us when we feel abandoned and we feel so betrayed. King David was the handsome hero. He was the holy hunk. He was the humble-hearted seeker of God. And then he messed up. 
horribly messed up. It broke up his reputation. It broke up the kingdom. It, it broke up his romance of God. It broke up his perfect family. He had an affair with a married woman. And in those days, if the king wanted you, lady, to go to bed with him, no matter who you were, you went to bed with him. And so he created life in her. He, he, she is now pregnant. In an effort to, to cover it up, he takes her husband, puts her on the front line of a battle, and puts him in a place where he'll be ambushed, and he dies. And then he marries. King David marries this woman, and the cover-up's complete, and it seems to be going well, except God does what God promised he would do. He said, if you try to hide evil, I will publicly declare it. And he sent a prophet and said, you're the man, you've done wrong. David confessed his sin and, and was broken and shattered, and, and he, was, he, he said, God, forgive me, and, and, and God did. But as a result of his own foolish actions, his family was torn apart by horrible dysfunction, including deaths, and, and especially the death of the child that was being carried in that womb after the child was born, it died. And then one of his sons ripped the kingdom out of David's hand. And the hearts of Israel went with this son who they saw as justified in his rebellion and his betrayal. The anointed of the Lord was forced to flee Jerusalem and wait out the crisis in his own refugee camp across the Jordan River. It's in that place that David writes these words confronting the betrayal and the broken world he now lives in. Psalm 3 says this, Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saving me. God will not deliver him. Ever have that, have that happen to you? You've got this, this, this group of friends, you have this team, and suddenly someone turns on you and begins to recruit other people against you? In that moment, if that's you today, please understand, and don't be surprised, who doesn't jump on the bandwagon? Now, in case you don't know what a bandwagon is, I'm going to define it for you, and it's pretty complicated, so you may want to write this down. A bandwagon is a wagon with a band on it <laughs> in a parade. It is a cause. It is a movement that has now become popular, has now become fashionable. And David laments, he says, how did this happen? How did I get this many people? How did I get this, this bandwagon thing going? Where did all these people come from? Because it started out with just this, this covert rebellion, this covert betrayal for his, only, his, his own son, Absalom, who's sitting at the city gate. People are coming by, and they're saying to him, can't believe what the king did. Yeah, I know, but you know, he's a good guy. Yeah, but, but he, put, he, you know, he, he betrayed God. Yeah, I know that. And God, and, and God had to expose him. Yeah, we know that. And, and you know, he should have been out leading the troops instead of walking around, staring at people bathing. And, and, and yeah, he should have been, you know, and it's just, I, I can't tell you. He said, you know, we probably need a, no, we don't need a new king. Yeah, we probably need a new king. No, we don't need a new king. We need, well, you know, we could probably use a new king, but, you know, who could we? get. We can't get, there's nobody like King David. Well, you could be, no, I could not. Yes, you, no, I could not. Okay, maybe I could. But, but who, who would help take care of, I mean, who would, who would support me? Because there's nobody that knows me. Well, we know you and we'll support you and there's not enough of you. Well, but I got friends and, and so we got all these people and we could, we, you could and no, I could. Yes, you could. No, okay, I can. And suddenly David says, 
What started out as this little covert operation has now become a bandwagon and everybody's on it. Look how many foes I have. And even people who would dare not say anything against the king are now crying out against him. And so when Absalom and his troops move into the city and David and his entourage move out, one of Saul's clan named Shimei is standing on top of a hill and it's David, King David, the anointed of God, the one who killed giants, is walking below him. Shimei starts to throw rocks at the king. Shimei begins to throw dirt upon the king and begins to curse him. And then he says this to him, you are in this condition because God has abandoned you and God will not deliver you. So understand this. Make it clear to yourself that when you're in a crisis, many will be ready to tell you that God is against you. He's not going to help you. So when a hurricane hits New Orleans and Katrina wipes out a city, oh, there are so many ready to say, God's judgment. Look what God did. When a man is killed in honor, in, in, in military service in Afghanistan, and he's brought here to be laid to rest, there are those ready, even from a church, who will stand before those coming to mourn and say, God's not with you. He hates what you do. There are those who will be ready to tell you that you're being judged, that it's the only way it could be. This I know. That in the age we live, there is a God who is merciful and loving, who that when he wants to judge us or when he wants to discipline us, he sends his Holy Spirit and even prophets who will come and talk to us and say, here's what God wants you to know. But this I also know is that God is not for betrayal. So everybody has jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, not everybody. Because David begins his line that we just read by saying this, Oh, Lord, he uses the very intimate title of a covenant God, O Yahweh. The way that he said that has its equivalency found in the New Testament when Jesus cries out to God and says, Abba, Daddy, Father. It is the expression of one who feels abandoned, yet he says, yet you have not abandoned me, even in how horribly I have acted, even in my bad words or in my bad action, you still love me, and I'm coming back to you saying, I need you, O Abba, for you haven't betrayed me. So in this crisis that you face, when others may tell you that God is not with you and he's not going to help you, settle this, that you and God are Okay. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. That the expression of a covenant God is, is, is called throughout the book of Psalms as steadfast love, love that does not give up. Love is like a mother's love who says, I will love you no matter what you've inflicted upon yourself. I still love you. I still care for you. It doesn't give up on us. So David confesses, his sin and he asks God for forgiveness and now he has to weather the consequences of the decisions that he has made. 
And, and I find too often we get to that spot and we say, okay, we've really messed up, we've blown it. We come back to God and say, God, please forgive us and people have betrayed me and I've, I've, I've done all this stuff and yet I've come to you and I need you. And then we say, but because I've messed up, I'm gonna have to go through a, a whole season now of God not helping me. And it's, it's like we've put God in the penalty box. And we say, okay, God, you have to sit out on, on this part of life. You're in the penalty box. And, and, and Satan now can do a power play and you can't interfere because I've messed up so horribly. And in, in, in a certain amount of time, God can get out of the penalty box and he can come help us. But now, right now, he can't be involved because I messed up so bad. And we place him there. We think he's gonna just stay there and he's not gonna help. I want you to understand that as you confess to him your need for him, he is already working out a plan of deliverance for you. He does not remain quiet and silent. Oh, he may be quiet for a while, but he is not, he is not inactive. So that in your crisis, believe that in the dark place is a layer of protection. We've told you plenty of stories of our youngest son, Dustin, and I just refer back to one of those, or a couple of those, or maybe 20 of those. <laughs> Dustin got arrested for vandalism. He and some friends were throwing rocks through the windows of an abandoned house, only it wasn't abandoned. A year or so later, he got picked up for shoplifting at the mall. And we told Dustin, we said, you know, you really should give up a life of crime because you're lousy at it. You get caught every time. And he did because I said, you know what? Your mom and I are praying that everything you do you will get revealed. You'll get caught. And, and he got mad at us and he got mad at God because God kept doing it. And during those, those years, it wasn't, it, it wasn't unusual for me to find Pam in his room. Either he wasn't there or he was asleep, and she'd be praying, and tears would be coming down her cheeks. This mother's love, and she would say, and the essence of her prayer was, Lord, let him get caught, but Lord, don't let him get hurt. That love that she has for that son is the same love magnified so many times over that comes from God, whose, whose view of you is this, I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna let you get by, I'm, I'm not gonna let you get, get away with this, you will get caught, but I'm gonna try to keep you from getting hurt because I have a plan for you. I wanna take care of you. That's why David then prayed, or mentioned this, he said in, in Psalm 3, verse three, but you are a shield around me, O Lord, you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. It's interesting, David's rest, or David's confidence rests not in his, not in his deserving, because he knows I don't deserve this. It rests in the nature of God, which, which he portrays uh, through a metaphor, through a shield, and, and through an attribute, which is his glory. Though David's kingship was forcibly removed from the Lord's anointed, David's anointing was not removed from the Lord's kingship. Because if you remember last week, Nicole so masterfully took us through Psalm 2 and, and she reminded us last week that I am anointed to complete my mission. 
And loss, and loss by bad choice or by bad friends cannot affect the kingship of God that surrounds us and the one who placed the anointing on us. Even when we mess up, he still has an anointing for us if we will come back to him. That's why David said, you have a shield for me. That shield is a protection against everything that is not God. Just as much as a mom's protection surrounds you and, 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 and protects you from everything that, that mom thinks is not good for you. That's why mom is always saying to you, do you have a jacket? You, you okay? Did, did you take that medicine? When my kids are not home, I get mothered. <laughs> what jacket you wear? This morning she says, did you take your medicine this morning? But what would I do without you? There is this protection. God says, my shield is around you that no matter how big the bandwagon is, how many I have turned against you, they can't turn, they, they, they can't come to you because I am your protection. I am God. It is my nature to protect you. It's the way I am. He says, you bestow your glory on me. And that glory, I'd like to define as glory as the ability to complete the mission. You say, but I can't complete the mission. You don't know what I've lost. I tried and now it's not there. Oh, but understand that David said, I cry out to God and he answers me. And it's amazing where he answers him from. He says he answers me from the holy hill. The holy hill was David's mission. It was Jerusalem, the place he was supposed to rule, the place he's supposed to be, the place that he's supposed to advance God's kingdom and his worship. And he's not there anymore. But he said, God is still there and God is still working out the mission even though I'm gone and I'm not there. God is answering me from that place because he is still stirring up what needs to be stirred so that I can return and finish my mission. You see, even if you feel like the betrayal has stopped you, you have a loss. God is still in the loss and he's lording himself over the loss. Because his glory is his lordship over and his kingship over what you think you've lost. And he says, I will bring it back to you if you trust me. Because you're not at loss. So that's why, that's why I, I lift up my head. That's a Hebraism meaning I have confidence in you because you, even though I am weak and I've been betrayed and I have messed up, you have forgiven and you are still working out your plan for me and I will return to my mission because that's the God that you are because my anointing still remains. You say, but how do I figure out the plan? Well, plans need to come out of presence. Instead of, lay, instead of laying awake at night and, and David reliving his pain, and, and don't do that. You get, you get injured and we just keep reliving it and it causes bitterness and it causes despondency and it causes despair and we keep saying, oh, I lost, I lost, and it wasn't for her, it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have lost. If it had. Don't do that. Instead of laying there and, and, and reliving his pain and planning his vengeance, the scripture says he meditates. He keeps bringing up God thoughts until they become part of his life view. See, that's meditation, bringing up God thoughts until it becomes part of your life view. And David says this, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. He said, there can be 10,000s of people, but I, I see who you are, God, and you're surrounding me. You're protecting me. Someone else I think of when I read that, I think of a prophet named Elisha. Elisha lived when, 
when Israel was being invaded by the king of Aram, and, and he would send in these raiding parties, and they would just mess up Israel. And God started coming to Elisha saying, okay, here's the plan that the king of Aram has, so go warn your king. And so he'd go warn the king, and then the raiding party would get captured or killed, and it wouldn't work out. And so the king says, who's the spy in my own court? Who, who is this? He said, it's not, it's not us. It's that prophet, Elisha. God tells him everything, and he tells the king. He says, well, where, does he, where is he? He said, he's in Dothan. He says, well, go to Dothan and get the guy. So they go, and here's the story, 2 Kings. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Wouldn't you, be, wouldn't you just love to be able to do that? To the person who's, who's treated you wrong, say, Lord, just blind them for a few moments. So Elisha goes out from his city, and he meets them. We don't know what the conversation was, but they, they say, well, he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, we came to, to, to be with Elisha, and, and, and we're not sure, where, but Elisha said, I know where he is. Let me take you to him. So Elisha takes his whole army that is blind and leads them 10 miles away from Dothan to Samaria, his capital, and takes them into the city so that when their eyes open up, they're surrounded by Israelis. And the king says, shall I kill him? And Elisha says, why would you do that? God put them in your hands. It's not his plan. In fact, he said, they're hungry, so feed them. And the scripture says that the king gave them a great feast and then gave them supplies so they could make it back home safely. They went back home, told the king, and the king said, these people are just, we're not going back there ever again. And what could have been a protracted warfare with thousands of lives that would die. God's plan solved it in a moment with blindness and kindness. And who would have known to do that except one who had spent enough time that he began to see as God sees? In God's presence, in our betrayal and, and in, in our, our pain, in our loss, when we spend enough time with him, we begin to see as he sees and he brings the plan that we need. So what's broken up in your life? Who betrayed you and what do you think you've lost? Please understand that God is ruling right now in the place you thought you lost and he's making a plan for you. So to make this come about, to really grasp it. We, we've been asking you to live this stuff out. We've been talking about this victorious life. And so in, in your service folder, there are some notes, and there's a spot there that says living it out, and we encourage you to do this and for this week. Number one, begin your day meditating on this truth. And I won't go through that scripture, but I'm going to invite you to read through that because it's a wonderful expression of God's love. Secondly, Finish your day, and I'm going to have you listen to this in just a moment, but not only read the scripture and meditate on it and bring it up to your mind so you begin to see it as God sees it. Remember, it's, re it's bringing up God thoughts so that it will shape your, your, your life view. 
Listen to this prophetic word that just, just reflects these words of 1 John 4. From a man who speaks at times God's expressions to us about his love for us, listen to the words of Graham Cook. The Lord says that there is nothing that you can do that would make him love you more. There is also nothing you can do that would make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, 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 because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And his love is unchanging. And he loves you 100%. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you 100%. Because he loves you because that's the way that he is. And even if you don't want to change, he will love you 100%. Even if you have no plans to walk with him, he will love you 100%. Because that's his nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who is outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical, it'll blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I give you. You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I bestow upon you. And know this, says the Lord, you can only love me 
as much as you love yourself. So my love comes this evening to set you free from yourself, to set you free from how you see yourself, to set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says the Lord, I see something that I love. I see someone that I can love outrageously. And I have so much to bestow upon you, so much to give you, so many places to take you in my heart. But you can't go there unless you allow me to love you. And my love for you will break every barrier, bring every wall crashing down. And know this says the Lord, my love damages fear. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you. It will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this evening, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store because my perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present because my love casts out fear. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. So I listen to that. And there's parts of that encouragement, I go, yeah, I got that. And there's parts I go, I don't have that. So would you this week open your heart? Would you read the scripture and think about it that I've given you? And then would you go to the link and listen to this every day and let it start taking root in you? Because it's truth. And the only way you get the lies out of you is put the truth in. And then every day, live all day declaring, God, you still rule over what I thought I lost. You love me. Show me your plan. Because the truth is this. There are more with us than, more against, than there are against us. And so the good news is this, that God loves us with an outrageous love. And so as we depart today, we're going to rest in that good news. And so would you stand? So Father, we open our hearts now and we invite you to give us wisdom. Give us a view that you have of how you look at us and may we understand that love so that we can return that love to you. I pray over those who are battling right now with difficulties and even with, 
with a self-image that has been fed lies. We pray that you now will reveal the truth of your love, your care, your grace, your mercy, and how you've created a destiny for all of us. Thank you that you are building in those places we thought we lost. You're building our return. So we give you thanks. We thank you for the love you give to us. Thank you for the moms who have loved us with your kind of love, for it shaped us to be better men and women. We give you thanks. We seal this day, this day of celebration. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.